The following program is a podcast1.com production. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Our web address, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And I've got an ask for you. What's worse than an IRS audit? I'm going to tell you in 20 minutes. And later, I'm flying to Europe for $65 one way. I'm going to tell you how in a half hour and let you know the trend that's your friend in travel with everything breaking your way right now. If you're interested in traveling within the United States or anywhere around the world, this is your time, and I'm going to fill you in on why the deals are so great and how to grab them, because that's what I do. I see a deal, and I grab the thing. You see my wife's face when I said that I was going to Europe for $65, going with the TV crew, and I'll be explaining to you what it's like flying on that, but more about it in a half hour. Right now, I want to talk about why being cheap is for me in so many areas and in investing front and center. So here's my deal. I am very privileged in that I work only because I want to. I have had the good fortune in my life that I have uh, done well in business, and I am a max saver. Historically, I have lived on less than half of what I've made, and in recent years, I've been living on 25% of what I make. I carry no debt. I am absolutely into creating the freedom for me to speak as I wish without worry, without fear, that I say what I believe because it's where my head and my heart meet, and I don't have to worry that what I say could cause me to be unemployed. So what? And that is a freedom that I have been privileged to enjoy because I've always lived on substantially less than I've made, and then with the money that I've saved and invested, I've invested in the lowest cost choices available to me to invest that money. Well, there's a fellow who has a lot, 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 lot more money than I do, Warren Buffett, who has long believed that the key to people ending up secure financially, of course, you have to save money first, but that when you invest the money, you invest in the lowest cost investment options available. And so he did a challenge last decade, mid-last decade, where he said that he believed that all the star power of all the investment managers that handle investing for the rich, that they didn't have a chance in comparison to a simple, low-cost investment known as an index fund. And so that challenge was posed last decade, and to this point now, 
what's known as a 500 index fund, this one from Vanguard, which is a fund that owns just little pieces of the 500 largest companies in the country, has gone up 66% over that time period by one measurement. Under another, it's been even larger. I'm not sure how one shows it larger than the other. But that the rich people investment organizations known as hedge funds over the same period of time are up 22%. So just putting your money in the lowest cost investment choice, which has no commissions to go into and virtually no management fees where every dollar you have is working almost a hundred cents on the dollar for you with just a teensy tiny amount for management expense, that it has outperformed the fanciest investment houses three to one. It's your money. You know, over and over again, I talk about with investing that what matters first is that if you do get advice, that you get it from somebody who is working for you not looking to line his or her pocket or the firm's pocket, but working for you. Second, that your money be well thought out. What are the goals? How long are you investing for? Are you taking the appropriate level of risk? And third, that when you do invest, that you go into ultra, ultra low-cost choices. And you can see the advantage of simplicity of tripling the return of the rich people investment houses. And here's the thing, is that if you are investing with a high-cost firm and you're not rich, your returns aren't even going to be as good from mid-last decade as how lousy these returns are for the rich people. You know, complexity has its cost. Simplicity and low cost have their rewards. Now, there's something that I pledged to you weeks ago, and I'm continuing to refine it almost every day. I'm ex- uh, expanding and refining a guide for you of organizations, regardless of whether you make a lot of money, a little money, whether you have a lot of money to put aside a little bit or in between, companies, organizations, that are good for you to look at to invest your money that keep you at the heart of what they do. They're there for you, and they offer ultra-low cost, or if you're looking for advice, ultra-low cost advice and investment choices. That guide is up at Clark.com. It is only going to become more and more useful to you over the next few weeks and will only get better from there Because I don't want you sitting there like a sitting duck where when you decide you want to start putting money aside for your future, that you end up in the hands of somebody who's going to take advantage of you. I want your money working for you, for your future, not for that firm or that individual's future. And unfortunately, in the investing area, there are a lot of snakes in the grass. And snakes may look pretty behind glass. They're not pretty in the grass. And I want you 
to be able, when you take your hard-earned money and put it aside, have it working for you, for your goals, for your future. Matthew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. How can I be of service to you, Matthew? Um, well, I completely agree with everything you've just been saying about index funds and investing in low-cost options. Um, but I guess um, I, I'm 32 years old, and I've been consistently investing in low-cost options. And now I've paid off my student loans. I, I don't own a house and don't, don't really want to own a house yet, and I don't have a mortgage. And so... I have a lot of money now to really start investing even more than I've been investing in. And and I, I do agree with you with the index fund route, but I guess I'm just a little concerned. I just feel that this in, the stock market has increased so much, and I feel it's a little bit inflated. And if I were to start putting all this extra money I'm able to in now that, you know, it it could go down, and I just feel it's an unpredictable climate. Oh, you're so right, Matthew. The, the stock market has had a massive run-up since uh, late winter of '09 when it hit its bottom. And depending on which part of the stock market you're looking at, the values of holdings have either tripled or quadrupled since then. And so things are uh, in rarefied air. You know, if they were in the sub-basement, in 09 now they're in the penthouse in terms of values in 2017 so you stand risk that you would plop a big amount of money in and then bam you would end up suddenly seeing a lot of it wiped out i i have a a brother who in 1987 my oldest brother put a big chunk of money into the stock market in September of 1987. Now, you weren't even born then. You, know, you were, how old were you then? You were two, right? Uh, I was three. Three. So when you were three, there was a massive stock market crash. And my brother lost, putting money in in September 87, by the uh, point that it was done in October 87, he had lost 40% of the money he put in in a month and that's what you're worried about right yeah so what happened was he didn't quit he didn't leave and he ended up making all that money back plus a lot more but it's nerve-wracking because if you put in money and you lose a great deal all at once most people human nature being what it is they're going to bail and they're going to bail into the loss so because of your concern i have a strategy i would recommend and it lets you sleep through the ups and downs of the market. You're 32, you got forever for your money to, to grow, to recover from dips, from collapses, from crashes, and to benefit from climbs. But the way psychologically you get past that concern is you do something called dollar cost averaging. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, just investing on a consistent Basis. Right, and that's what I would recommend. Are you f- funding Roth IRAs yet? Uh, yeah, I, I put in the max every year. So what I would say is put in money every month, be uh, like 400 and something a month, 
so that you end up by the end of the year having put in the 5500 but don't do it all at once. And so if you steadily put money into the market, what it means is that if the market does have a decline, then the next month the money you put in buys you more shares of what you're buying, and it levels everything out. By reducing the risk short term, you ride through the tough times that happen from time to time and have your money grow long term. And that's how I would overcome the concern that the market almost certainly is at a point where it's uh, breathing very thin oxygen and is likely, who knows when, is it next week, next month, next year, but at some point the market's going to tank for a while. And that's just part of the natural process. And Matthew, you can avoid that concern by doing the dollar cost averaging. And Martha's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Martha? You're taking a group of Girl Scouts to Niagara Falls. Yes, sir, I am. Exciting. So have you been to yeah, Niagara today. Falls before? No, we have not. This is going to be their first time and also the leader's first time. Uh, it is such a great experience to see the falls. Now, I have a question regarding going to Niagara Falls, the Canada side, as far as the leaders go, what type of paperwork would we need other than the girls having their passports to be able to take the girls into Canada? So because it's an organized Girl Scout group, the passports will be sufficient. If you were one individual taking a minor child across the border, depending on the discretion of the border agent, they might want some kind of proof that you legally have right to bring that child across a U.S. border. But because it's an organized youth group, the girls having their passports will be sufficient for you to be able to go across the border because you're not kidnapping an entire Girl Scout troop. You know That's why they have those procedures in place when you're taking an individual child across as an adult. Okay. Now, would you recommend the passport book or the card? Uh, if they're gonna, if they're gonna have, uh, they're applying for passports now. Yes, they are. So, unless they're planning to frequently travel across the border by surface transportation, just have them get the passport. Okay. Now, is there any place that you would recommend going to? Well, you're already thinking right because the Canadian side of the border has much more attractive views of the falls, and there's a beautiful park when you go across the bridge and you go, I guess that would be west from the bridge. It's a beautiful park with magnificent views of the falls that I prefer to the view from the U.S. side. Okay. And make sure none of the girls exchange money for Canadian dollars on the U.S. side of the border. The exchange rate you're offered on Canadian dollars on our side is vastly inferior generally to the rate they'll be offered if they want to do souvenir shopping or whatever. They wait to the other side of the border to exchange their money. And I promise you they're going to have a great time. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment, and it involves one of your favorite organizations, the IRS. Scams, ripoffs, outrages, 
It's a Clark Regis moment. So that was really just a false tease because the IRS isn't the problem. It's people pretending they're with the IRS. There's not a day that goes by that I don't hear from somebody. They were contacted by email or by phone by somebody pretending to be an IRS agent collecting a debt, threatening them with jail. It is a plague right now across the country. I want you to know that the IRS doesn't have enough people to be running all of us down like that. And the percent odds that you're going to be subject to an audit for a typical taxpayer, you might have even for an audit a 1 in 150 chance, 1 in 200 chance, even high income earners probably 1 in 100 chance. So this idea that IRS people have the time to call you and hassle you all the time and say, pay us right now or else this is going to happen to you, all a big fat lie. So know that if you get called by somebody who says they're with the IRS, hang up the phone. Emails supposedly from the IRS, delete them. You know, when you're a kid, there are a lot of things that you think exist. Unicorns, dragons, mermaids, you name it. When you're a kid, it's real. But when you find out later that they don't, well, it's kind of disappointing. Of course, as you get older, you get over the disappointment. But when you're looking to buy a car, there's nothing worse than finding the one of your dreams online, and then you find out later, it doesn't really exist. It's not true. That's why at TrueCar, they show you real pricing on actual inventory. This isn't pricing offered to you by TrueCar. It's an actual VIN-based price from a TrueCar certified dealer in your area. Real prices. And these aren't just any dealers either. TrueCar certified dealers are a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency. They offer competitive prices and a faster, easier buying experience for you. It's a fact. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with the TrueCar certified dealers. And, on average, they save over $3,000 off the MSRP. So when you're ready to buy that dream car, visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. It's great having you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. You have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Of course, our web address, Clark.com. So I teased a half hour ago that I bought a ticket to Europe from the United States for $65 one way. How could that be? Because the the price-fixing cartel that has controlled flights from the U.S. to Europe for the last nine years is step-by-step being broken. And now discount airlines are going to continue adding routes to the United States from Europe and soon from the United States to Asia. And it's going to change the equation for you. And $65 is an introductory fare from an airline called Norwegian. Already flies to a number of U.S. airports. But they're setting up a U.S. base in a couple of spots. One near New York City at Stewart Air Force Base. And another one in Providence, Rhode Island. And so I bought a ticket from Providence to Edinburgh, Scotland for $65. Now, you may wonder, what am I actually going to pay? Because that was the teaser price. 
My total cost, including taxes and junk fees, $95 one way. And so to get from uh, New England to Scotland for $95 all in is ridiculous. And I don't even know if that covers the fuel, but that is the cheapest fare, and it's a mix of passengers at different fares on the flight. What I didn't mention is that's for a fare in July, the most expensive month each year to fly from the U.S. to Europe is July. And there I am with the seat. And the reason mine ended up not being 65 is I wimped out on going without a seat assignment. The idea of being in a center seat all the way from the U.S. to Europe was more than my spoiled rear end could handle. So I paid $30 to get a seat on the emergency exit row where I'll have aisle seat, extra leg room. And so I I get a visit to Scotland. We're going to film it for uh, TV affiliates I'm on and put it on. I'll talk about the pluses and minuses of flying on one of the deep discounters. But the reality is the picture of how travel has worked to Europe for the last many years with ultra, ultra, ultra high fares, typically a cost per mile, many times what the cost per mile is for a domestic U.S. ticket, that's coming to an end because competition is coming. If you're not familiar with what happened, when the nation's full fare airlines got into trouble last decade, the federal government allowed our full fare airlines, the surviving full fare airlines, American United and Delta, to enter into price-fixing cartels with partner airlines overseas, where they were able to fix the, the routes, the fares, the seats, everything. And so the fares, as you might predict, when there's price fixing, the fares went up and up and up and up. And now the fares got so high that it created opportunity for others to say, hey, I'm going to start flying in that market. And now there's going to be a bunch of discount airlines that will be flying from the U.S. to Europe. Many will fail. You know, they won't run good operations, and they will cease to exist. But then others will take their places, and the fares will consistently be cheaper than what we have experienced. These will generally be no-frills kind of services, and you will have to pay, in some cases, for everything. As an example with Norwegian, if I want anything to eat or drink, I'll have to pay for it. I'm having to travel with only a teensy tiny micro carry-on bag because anything else I'd have to pay to take that bag as a carry-on. So fortunately it's July and I will take almost nothing with me. And the funny thing, I figured out that even if I have to buy a couple articles of clothing when I get to Scotland, it'll still be cheaper than what I would have paid for baggage charges. And I will do what I do on a trip like that. I will take older clothing that if I then buy souvenirs, I'll have things that I can give away, you know, drop off at some charity drop and have room in my micro carry-on to bring stuff back in it. But in the United States, 
We're also for travel within the United States. There's a giant shift going on with air travel where the number of discount seats that will be available for you from deep discount airlines that are an acquired taste, Spirit Frontier and Allegiant, and then from traditional full fare airlines that are all wave introducing in waves basic economy, which is let's see if we can make coach travel more miserable than it has been in return for you getting a cheaper fare. And so all three of the full fare airlines are doing that as a way to compete with the discounters. Uh, Business travelers are actually seeing much lower fares, both here in the United States and for overseas, than they have seen in the past. And so regardless of whether you are a leisure traveler or a business traveler, competition is changing the equation and you are getting great deals. But remember, with any of the deals that come along, there are a couple of things I want you to know. Number one, know everything that comes with it, every gotcha, every additional fee you'll have, every charge you'll face. Because if you don't look at what it is all in, you could end up paying substantially more than you suspect. That's why an airline that has kind of like no image in the United States tends to have the cheapest all-in price, and that's Southwest, because if you do check bags, they're free to check up to two per customer, and there are no change fees on Southwest or cancellation fees if your trip changes later or you have to cancel. You get to hold the money, 100% of it, for future travel or for your change booking. And so the business models are going every different direction, from airlines that pamper you to airlines that eat up your wallet every stage they can to people who simplify the product and you get to pick and choose what kind of way works best for you. But remember I said there are two rules for traveling at a discount. The most important I save for last. Never, ever, ever Pick your destination and then look for a deal for it. Throw that out the window. Always buy the deal when a deal comes along and then figure out why you want to go there. That's how you see the whole world extra cheap. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi, Clark. How are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. Good, thanks. How are you? Great. You want to talk about your daughter? Yes. My daughter is a theater student, and we were planning on her going to community college. And that recently changed. She wants to go to the in-state college, which costs about $12,000 a year without room and board. So $12,000 tuition used to be considered to be a giant amount for in-state at a state university or flagship state university, and today that's actually probably a little on the low side in wow. a lot of states for in-state tuition. Yes, so that's my dilemma. She definitely wants to go to the in-state for the theater program, and you know I've been listening to you for a while, and my concern is is her getting into debt, is we don't have enough to pay that every year for the next four years. 
and it being theater, and I'm more, my wife wants her to follow her dream and do whatever she wants, and I'm more on the the conservative side, not wanting her to get in debt and, and so forth after, you know, I listen to you, and that's a major concern for me. So my wife was a theater major in college and really? is an actress and loves every minute of it except for the fact that your income is so irregular and you never mm-hmm. know when you're going to be working because actors live their lives being unemployed. You know, as soon as yeah, one job finishes... Away from the actress part. She wants to be into theater design, like set design. Well, you know, know set designers, set designers, if they break through, actually have potentially more stable income than the actors mm-hmm. performing on stage. But uh, your concern is a valid one from a dollars and cents standpoint, that if she borrows money for school, let's just say she borrows just the tuition for getting room and board. Can she live at home? Is the university near where yeah, you live? Yeah, she plans on living at home, and we plan on you know playing a majority of it, but we won't be able to you know pay the whole thing. So, so in the worst worst case scenario, five thousand loan per year. How much per year? About four to five thousand dollars for year per year for her to borrow. Then, then I would relax as her father, let her pursue okay. her dream, because right. that's not enough borrowing to be a crisis for her. If she graduates with less than $20,000 in student loan debt or less, that Mm -hmm. will not be a problem for her, even if she were to face periods of underemployment, unemployment. She'll just have to hustle and and work part-time doing other things. But there could be a compromise as well I could throw out to you. I'd be more than interested. (laughs) So I would say the compromise is that you let her pursue her dream. She gets her major in theater design, but she also gets a minor in something that is a practical thing that could be a fallback kind of position for her. That's what we we had discussed that. So she said that she would go for communications you know to make us happy so she would be getting like a double degree so communications wouldn't make me happy because it's not (laughs) something that specifically translates into some kind of clear career path or some way that she Mm -hmm. can fall back on for income i would like something that's Mm -hmm. a little meatier in terms of something very different than the arts arts degree that she'd be getting from the theater department but Mm -hmm. having even a minor in something that is that is a good thing to fall back on. Whether uh, does she have any STEM uh, mind? You know, um, computer technology, data science. Uh, she's, math. she's kind of good with computers. She's good at math, but her passion has is theater. So I got that. So so if she did if she did that as her major, and did some mm-hmm. minor where she picks up mm-hmm. enough hours in could be uh, design, you know, web design, something like that. She could. Mm-hmm. That would also be a skill that would help her very much get into a theater because they mm-hmm. need those skills too. Okay. And so I, I would want her to put her major energy into her passion and her minor energy into something that would earn her some money. And probably the two could work very well together. 
Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Dave, you were in the cell phone repair biz. Yes, sir, I am. Aren't you lucky that the cell phone manufacturers make their phones so flimsy? Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but you're worried about something. What's got you worried? Yeah, so um, you know, I'm in the cell phone repair business, and some of the large companies in the uh, wireless industry, one of the large cell phone manufacturers in particular, um, are trying to basically make it harder for me to do my job. So um, there are these right-to-repair bills being considered in several states um, that would give consumers the right to repair their own devices or have it repaired at a shop of their choice, and you know, there are these massive companies lobbying against the bills. Oh, I know uh, all so about this. This is the thing Apple is fighting. Anybody having the right in a state to go to a third party to repair an iPhone. Exactly, yeah. They want yeah. to essentially have a monopoly on the repair process. So, see, there's an old expression, pigs get rich, slogs, uh, hogs get slaughtered. You guys spit that yeah, out? Yes. Apple is so wrong in their arrogant desire to own every part of the ownership of the iPhone, including the repair for the fact that Apple doesn't make them robust enough to withstand the damage that happens when you uh, have even just a slight drop of a phone. The technology is widely available to make the phones much um, more robust, to make them much less subject to breakage, and to then say, we're designing something and building it where it's much more prone to break, and then we're going to have the monopoly on repairing it is ridiculous. It is, and they they only offer a couple of repairs. So if you just have you know a, something go wrong that might only cost fifty dollars to fix at the local repair shop, but they don't offer it, they'll tell you you have to buy a new phone. So right, that's uh, and, and that, Apple's wrong, 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 and it's up to state legislatures to have the guts to stand up to Apple and its money and allow right-to-repair laws. And this same fight's gone on in the car business as well, with right. car manufacturers not wanting to allow independent shops to have access to the manuals and the information they need to repair vehicles. And it's a terrible restraint on the free market, and I, I just think it stinks. And I, I think that people will speak with their wallets and they want to be able to go to independent shops to have their iPhones repaired. And so people will continue to do that. And I think Apple will fail at trying to run you out of business. I sure hope so. So have you been down to your state legislature, Dave? I have not. So that's what I was wondering if there's anything that I can do. Do y'all have a, do you have a trade association for uh, independent repair shops in your state? Um, I'm part of the National uh, Repair Association. Perfect. See if you can get a state affiliate together and get to the legislature when they're in session, and you go start bending the ears of legislators. They worry about what small business owners think. You let them know that you are more important to your state than Big Bad Apple. It's time for Ask Clark. What do you have, Joel? Clark Biff writes in, he says, where do I find info on cheap funerals? Ah, that's so wonderful you're asking about that, but I hope you live a long time. Funerals.org will walk you through how to reduce the cost of a funeral, typically 75%. And in addition, around the country, there are a lot of co-ops 
for you to purchase funeral services at a tiny fraction of what you try to negotiate on your own. Check it out again, funerals.org. So far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Rad, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital bed. Under 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL big game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deals. And the list with Art of Charms, Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut next up sports money with mike ozanian talking to team owners athletes and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind supreme athletic competition forbes on podcast one not just entertaining informative subscribe now at itunes and don't forget to rate review and share i'm so glad you're with us on the clark howard show where it's all about you and your wallet i want you to learn ideas to me so that you can keep more of what you make clark.com is where we serve you on the web you want to follow me on facebook facebook.com slash clark howard when you have a question for me clark.com slash ask coming up in a half hour there's a new way for you to make free phone calls overseas when you're on the go either here in the United States to call overseas or from overseas back to the United States for free. I'm going to fill you in on how that works, the developments going on with that in one half hour. There are so many retailers that are in financial trouble. There are so many retailers in decline. You look at the proud name Sears that is almost certainly headed towards oblivion. Uh, using every financial trick possible just to try to keep the doors open. And speaking of the doors, we, this is terrible, but there's a mall we go to near our home. And when we go to that mall, it's always ultra busy. There are a lot of restaurants there that we go to eat at. But we always park by the Sears because there's never any customers there. And so we can park right by their entrance. And when you go to the door, The doors, the metal is, I don't know what you call it that's happened to the metal on the doors, but it's like deteriorated to the point that it looks like something out of some kind of um, disaster movie where the doors look like they've just totally um, aged out. And you walk in the store and it looks like it's 1967 or something in the store. It looks so dated and worn out and all that. And sorry, Sears. And this is a story being repeated in retail over and over again that what's happened is that as retail has changed and has so much more competition, the retailers that are not giving people what they want in terms of price or fashion or selection or whatever it is, they are not running efficient operations, whatever the problem is, they are shrinking and ultimately will cease to exist. And we're seeing this in uh, with retailers that specialize in sporting goods you know sports authority that was the biggest long gone now many others in sporting goods are filing for bankruptcy closing their doors women's clothing stores failing all over the place Uh, rumors about various electronics retailers failing and there is something you need to know 
as a customer, potential customer. All right, let's talk about big ticket things, like going to uh, an appliance or electronics store. There are so many, there are rumors about failing. I, I don't even want to pile on with that. But if you buy something from them for later delivery and you do not pay by credit card, you stand the risk of being an unsecured creditor in a bankruptcy liquidation. In other words, you will not get your merchandise and you will lose your money. Any big ticket item kind of purchase, uh, any kind of recreational place where you buy expensive stuff like um, uh, ATVs or boats or uh, outdoor kind of uh, big cost stuff, if it's being delivered to you later, it's being ordered for later delivery, do not pay by cash, check, debit card. Pay by credit card. Because all you'll leave me to say to you, and I'm the one that has to tell you the terrible news if you call and say, what do I do? I ordered this, paid up front, the retailer's closed, or the dealer, or whatever. What happens You lose your money, and you don't get whatever the item is you ordered. The refrigerator, the TV, the boat, whatever the item is. So remember this rule, and it's hard for us with our busy lives to know who's going to fail, who's in trouble, because even though Wall Street knows, the financial analysts are following these companies, You and I, with our lives, how are we supposed to know who's the next who's going to bite the dust? Is it going to be JCPenney closing hundreds of stores, reducing headcount 6,000 people? Or are they going to be able to turn it around? They're going to end up fine. Unknown with them. Sears, I don't know any way they make it. And with many others, there are people who failed recently. I don't follow women's clothing. There have been well-known and recognized brands and women's retailers that have failed. Your risk with places like women's retailers? Gift cards. I can't remember a time that a gift card from a retailer was as radioactive as it is right now. Do not buy them. Do not buy them. Do not give them as a gift. The risk of failure across retailing is so great i know a lot of people assume that this is the amazon effect amazon is a little part of this the bigger part is the very nature of how retail works having changed that the ability to comparison shop is so different we were in target the other day looking at something my son wanted and we looked online and we're in the target store and before I ever go to the register in a Target store, I always go to those pricing things, those scanners, and see what it reads. And it showed it at $10 more for the thing my son wanted than it showed on Target.com. And then I started comparison shopping at different retailers. And Target.com was it tied for the low price. But a $10 gap is huge. And the store was selling for $10 more. So we were able to go to the service desk, and it's funny, but it's funny you say it, but Target matches Target.com 
and they do some override on the register, and they match the price. So think about what's happening at retail because of the information that's in that smartphone you're carrying with you and the ability for you to comparison shop when you find the item you want. And so the risk to retailers is how do you make money in that environment? And again, I don't want you trying to figure out who's healthy or not. Don't buy and give the gift cards. Because if you give somebody a gift card and the retailer fails, you've given them your hard-earned money and they get nothing for it in return. Adam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Adam. Hey, Mr. Howard. Good, good to speak with you. Well, good to speak with you, but please, you got to follow the rules of our show. you got to call me Clark. Okay, Clark. Yes, sir. What's happening with you? I uh, just had a, a quick question. I, I graduated from ITT in late 2015, and with the fraudulent closing of ITT, I'm not sure what that means for our federal student loans. You know, there's a lot of things online going on about it, so I just wanted some more information about it, if you had any. So, if a school closes and you have federal loans, are they federal? Yes, sir. You are potentially eligible for a loan discharge. Mm -hmm. Now, the rule says may be eligible. Mm -hmm. And then there are specific rules that if you go to ed.gov, or actually go to uh, studentaid.ed.gov, you'll be able to read the briefing on how students of the closed school that you were at, ITT, how they're going to be treated. Okay. And so there's step-by-step whether your ITT loans are eligible to be wiped out as they refer to it, the lingo is discharged, or whether mm-hmm. you were still responsible for them. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's just a lot of things online. You know, I think a lot of them are scams, just companies telling you to call them and they'll, you know, take care of the loans. Adam, just, Adam like you were my hero for bringing that up, and it's my bad that I didn't mention that, mm-hmm. because... These folks are working from lists where they know who attended to the failed schools, not just mm-hmm. ITT, but all the failed schools. And then they start contacting you, telling you they're going to be your hero and that you're supposed to pay them to advocate for you and telling you they're going to get your loans wiped out. And that's just a complete waste of your money or any of your former fellow classmates' money to do that. Okay. And so the the information available at the U.S. Department of Education website is so clear, and it takes you through. I'm looking at the ITT briefing right now, and it takes you through step-by-step what would make you eligible, what would make you ineligible. So you can read with – you won't have any doubt after you read the briefing whether or not you're eligible for discharge. Okay. So go to ed.gov for that? Yeah, go to, actually go to ed.gov. Oh, okay. And you'll see the uh, briefing on closed schools, and then okay. you'll read specifically the one on ITT. Okay, so don't, don't believe a lot of that 
online. Don't believe know. any of that online stuff. Only go to the source, which is the U.S. Okay. Department of Education. Okay, okay. I will. I will. Thank All right, you so much. if you fail 100% the rules test on the mm-hmm. U.S. Department of Education site, and you are not eligible for uh, the direct loan forgiveness through the U.S. Department of Education, there is okay. a possibility that you'll be eligible for loan forgiveness based on a closed school having violated uh, fraud laws in your state. Okay. But that is that is a possibility which is a long shot where if you meet the criteria for loan forgiveness or uh, discharge under the federal rules, that's a slam dunk, and that's what you hope for. Okay. Okay. Well, best of luck to you, and I hope, Adam, that you are eligible for the loan discharge. But again, you'll know exactly if you go to the right place, the U.S. Department of Education website. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Brian. You are using an app that I've talked about to save money. Tell me about that. And Well, I'm using uh, Acorns. Um, I recently started investing with. Um, and, and Over the past year or so, I've gotten uh, a lot more serious about my investing with a Roth IRA and Acorns and 529G for my kids. Fantastic. Um, so Acorns is going really great. But my question was, I'm looking at naive when it comes to some of these things, is I have a 401k from a previous employer with about $7,000 in it. And I wasn't sure if I should take that out and put it with either like Acorns or um, the uh, the Roth IRA I have, or just leave that there and just you, you know what I mean. Just kind of you could you could move the money to uh, potentially to any of a number of places, but with seven thousand dollars, I would say I have a built-in bias. I'll hit you with right away. I would move it into a Target retirement fund at Vanguard in an IRA. I wouldn't necessarily move it into a Roth IRA because then you have to pay tax on all $7,000. Okay. But if you move it, what's known as trustee-to-trustee transfer from the former employer's 401k direct to Vanguard, and Vanguard would do all, they'd have you sign something and they would move the money for you. You have no tax implications. And if you go in a, uh, how old are you? Uh, 42. So if you go in a target retirement fund, let's say 25, trying to think a year, 37, I would say 2045, the year 2045, they will automatically over the decades uh, change the mix of investments to make them more conservative as you get closer and closer to the year 2045. Okay. Is that pretty easy to do with Vanguard? Is it? It's like a no brainer. It's so easy. Okay, and uh, and I want to thank you for the Acorns uh, advice too, because that's the kind of thing I would have I would have like been skeptical of until I heard your recommendation on it. So, so I think that that, that was great. Well, I love Acorns, and for people who aren't aware of it, it's Acorns A C O R N S dot com, and it's a very very easy process for you to start the habit of investing for the future. And it's totally automated. They make it really easy. It becomes a new habit in your life. And over time, it changes your financial security because it just happens. 
So yes, sir. You thank me, but you're the one making it happen. Well, I enjoy the show, so thank you for all you do. Thanks. Have a great day. It's time for Ask Clark. That's when you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel asks your question for you. Who you got, Joel? Uh, Clark Donna wrote in. She says, what are your thoughts about buying a car through Carvana? Well, it doesn't really matter what my thoughts are. What the marketplace is saying is that Carvana is winning people over all over the place. Carvana is kind of like CarMax, but for the modern era. Uh, No knock on CarMax. CarMax is the company that changed how people buy used cars with all kinds of things that you wanted and the things you hated about buying a car not part of them. No pressure, no um, crazy, weird negotiating going on, just a simple, clean, easy transaction with a right to return a car for a refund for any reason for a period of time. Well, Carvana developed from the ground up a model that doesn't require showrooms. And everything you do, your smartphone is your showroom where you go look and you see what vehicle you want to buy. And believe it or not, people in huge numbers are buying cars without ever seeing them till they own them. And then you have a week to decide if you don't want it and take it back and get your money back. People love the Carvana buying process. And so they are growing and growing and growing. And the traditional sellers of cars have got to adapt to particularly the way millennials expect to buy a car. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. So glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com gets it done for you. Clark.com is our web address. I want to talk about the ability to make calls to or from the United States, from foreign lands or from the U.S. to foreign lands, and be able to do so for free. That is the possibility with an app that is huge overseas and nobody seems to have heard of in the United States called Line. I have been testing the Line app, trying the free international calls. And it works flawlessly with significant limitations. If you download Line, you're able to call people in other countries, or if you're on a trip overseas, call back to the United States for nothing over Wi-Fi, or if you have, like, let's say you're a T-Mobile customer and you're outside the U.S. and you have data available to you, unlimited for free, you can use the Line app to call back to the U.S. to someone's cell phone or landline for free. But I said limitations. Here's how it works. You go to the Line app, you want to place a call, and it immediately starts playing an ad, a video ad. You watch the ad, and then you can send your call through. And so they pay for your call, essentially, for you to call people. 
And depending on like calling from the United States to somewhere, it might limit you to a three-minute call. It might allow that call for five minutes. It might allow it only to a landline in a foreign country. It might allow it to both mobile and a landline. So the offer varies by where you're calling to. But wherever you are calling from back to the United States, you get five minutes. Uh, You can say a lot in five minutes, potentially. And if you need to say more, you hang up, you watch another ad, and then you get another five free minutes. I know you think I'm crazy. But I think about, I travel a lot, and I hear from people repeatedly how they'll be somewhere, and they get hit with huge fees for making foreign calls, and they just didn't know it was going to cost like that. So having the opportunity to be able to talk for free. And there, and with family and friends, you already have that figured out. You use, if you're an iPhone, you use FaceTime, or you can use um, Facebook to do free phone calls now, or you can use any of a number of apps where, if you both have it, Duo is the easiest to use across platforms. If you've never heard of Duo. It's a fantastic app to do video calls Regardless of whether you're iPhone, Android, whatever you are, you can make free video calls worldwide using it. A number of choices. But this is where you have to call an actual physical number. I've had to call back when I've had a problem using my ATM card. I've had to call back and I'm paying for that call a significant amount of money. If I was able to call back and watch the ad first, then call in and talk to somebody and not have it cost me anything... Well, I sure like that. Another thing I like, I made so much fun of AT&T last week. AT&T reluctantly, finally went to unlimited data on cell phone plans. But AT&T came in much, much, much more expensive than the other players. And finally, somebody in their corporate bureaucracy realized how dumb they were being, and they cut prices a lot today. So if you are loyal to AT&T, you want unlimited data, AT&T has divided their plans into the poor man's unlimited data plan and the rich people's unlimited data plan. And the difference is on the rich people's unlimited data plan, the unlimited data is faster, the um, the Rich people's unlimited data plan on AT&T that you pay a rich price for will allow you to stream high-def video. The poor person's plan only is fast enough for you to stream standard definition video. But on a smartphone, you can't tell the difference between standard def and high def anyway with video. The AT&T offer for one person dropped from $100 a month to 60 so it's a giant drop in price. For family plans, the drop was smaller, but still significant. And we are in such a sweet spot on cell phone plans right now. You can see my latest update on the unlimited data plans and cell phone plans in general at Clark.com. Daniel's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Clark. It's great to be on the show. Well, great to have you here. Our producer, Joel, has inspired you. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, well, both you and Joel have. So my fiance and I have been saving up for our first house, and we're interested in keeping the house as a rental property, just like you and Joel both do. Um, however, we've only got about 3.5% saved for down payment, which leaves little remaining for closing costs. So as a result, we've been looking at financing options that either help with down payment or closing costs um, in order to... Um, we want to prevent our interest rate from going up by locking in our rate sooner rather than later. And so my question is, should we try to lock in our rate before the summer market drives home prices out of our price range? Or do we gamble and wait until the winter season when home prices come back down and we've saved up some more money? Well, the interest rate direction is so hard to predict. Interest rates on mortgages had started to escalate and had gone up not that long ago by about six-tenths of a point, and now have come back down a fair amount from that. And it's just so hard to know which way interest rates move in the shorter term. Long term, no doubt mortgage interest rates are going to go higher. But the difference between this summer and the following winter, who knows how much, if any, movement of mortgage interest rates there will be up or down on the thing you said about uh, peak pricing in the summer season so Mm -hmm. what tends to happen is that in areas especially where the home market is based on school-age children there is a, a meaningful difference in what you have to pay for a home buying it in the uh really once you hit April through probably into August that there may be a bump up in what you have to pay. But there's also more inventory as more people try to bring homes on the market. And then in turn, any homes that have gone unsold, the sellers tend to be more motivated, as the agents like to refer to it, and you might steal a better deal in the winter. Might. So I wouldn't say that that you should try to strategically position yourself where you wait till next winter to buy a home. When you have enough money to do a down payment, let's say, on an FHA home loan, then, and by the way, there are lenders now that are doing loans that only require 3.5% that aren't FHA loans as well in the market. When you're ready, I think you go ahead and buy since... We don't know what's going to happen with interest rates, but we do know right now they're so good. So it doesn't bother you at all that I that we've we've got about three and a half percent as opposed to getting the doing the eighty ten ten or the you know having a twenty percent down payment to avoid the PMI. Wonderful question. Are you telling me that you and your wife are such awesome savers that you by the end of this year could be in a position to have saved ten percent down instead of three and a half? I would say that we are much, we would be much closer to that. I don't know, you know, obviously things change and emergencies come up, but uh, we we could potentially be close to that. Because the other alternative is if you've got enough to go ahead and do an FHA loan or one of the products like an FHA loan, even though you're going to have to pay on an FHA the huge mortgage insurance premium, because you can lock in your housing costs, know you're in it, And then if you get in a position six months from now, a year from now, 
that you can refi into a loan that you've got a lot of equity mm-hmm. in it and avoid MIP or PMI. I think if you if you're ready, you find a deal that you don't sit on your hands. You go ahead and buy. Well, that's exactly what my wife and I wanted to hear. Oh, <laughs> well, then go for it. And I hope you end up being a real estate mogul like Joel. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Clark. It's great to be on your show. Well, great to have you here, Jeff. How can I be of service to you? Yes, sir. I was curious on how I could not have to uh, expect an income tax return every year and uh, just uh, figure out a way to take money out of my paycheck and put it into a savings account and just write a check at the end of the, uh, the year. So you're right now over withholding and you're ending up having to wait for a big tax refund each year? Yes, sir. All right. So there is no uh, science to it. It's more art. And the easiest way to do it, unless you suddenly have gotten a big pay raise at work, is... I did, actually. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So uh, your, your payroll office will tell you with your normal exemptions, what you're going to end up with is a check, each okay. net check, each pay period. What I would do is I would uh, go to them and say, I want to reduce my withholding. I want to change my exemptions so that I can reduce what's being withheld so I can get more money back each pay period. So you okay. just, um, you just, I said that backwards, didn't I? You increase your withholding so less money will be held back. Okay, so is it better to do that than to do to exempt myself altogether and then take that a percentage and put that into a savings account? So, how, do you work for a big company that has a human resources department or payroll department as a tiny employer? No, it's a big, big uh, employer. So if it's a big employer, you can go to Human Resources and say, here's what I want to do. I want to reduce my withholding each pay period by X number of dollars. Okay. 100, 200, whatever. And they'll just help you do that. They'll help you change the exam. They'll tell you fill out a new uh, W-4. And they'll reduce what you're having withheld, and then you won't get that refund. And that's what I recommend pretty much everybody do because you don't want to be in a position if you end up being a victim of tax id fraud that you end up waiting 10 to 14 months for that refund rebecca joins us on the clark howard show hello rebecca how are you doing hi clark i'm fine thank you rebecca you're looking for new wheels well um kind of i um i bought myself a luxury model car it's a 2013, but I got it in September of 2012, and wanted to keep it for five years. That time has come and gone pretty quickly, and I always get the urge for a new car. I like the new bells and whistles. I'm a tech person, a gadget person, and I started thinking, gosh, we normally pay for our cars up front, and um, it just seems like a lot of money to be putting down on a car and because once we write that check, it's gone, except for the car. You know, we have the car. But I'm thinking um, leasing might be an option for me. So when you bought that car back in 2012, 
am I hearing you right? You just wrote a check for it. You didn't take out a loan. No, we didn't take out a loan. So it's a lifestyle choice. If you're in a position yeah, exactly. that you don't need a loan for a car, and exactly. you like new wheels routinely, that's a circumstance, particularly with luxury vehicles, that it may make sense for you to lease instead of buy. Because with the luxury makes, they don't like to out-and-out discount the vehicles because they're trying to maintain a cachet of brand worth. So what right. they'll often do is they'll factory subsidize the lease, and where you get the deal on the luxury vehicle is in a lease usually for three years. They want to turn you into another vehicle in a three-year window. Right. And so uh, because for you, it's not a dollars and cents question, it's more a lifestyle question, leasing uh, on many luxury makes would be the right decision. Well, so my next question, if I decided to go into a lease the next time I want a new car, do I sell my car outright and just haggle with them on, because I know you haggle, you're supposed to haggle on the price of the car, not the, not the monthly payment of the lease. So right, so, so when, you, when you get the dealer involved in the trade-in of your existing vehicle, it really gums up the works. It fogs it up. And it's hard for you to know what you're really paying as a cost of that lease. And leases are complicated anyway. So if you keep the, the idea of trading in your car as a separate concern, here's how I like for you to do it. Do you happen to live in a part of the country that has CarMax? Yes. If you go to CarMax when you're in the cycle of thinking you want to lease a vehicle carmax Mm -hmm. will give you a guaranteed price they'll buy the vehicle from you for a week so you can go start negotiating on your lease for the one you'd like to lease and Mm -hmm. make the deal on what the lease is going to be what you're going to have to pay up front uh what your monthly will be on the lease how many miles you'll get under the allowance and all the particular price points with that lease. And then and only then you say, well, I'm going to sell my old car to CarMax. What will you offer me for the car? So that you kept that completely separate. separate. And yeah. you know that they've already got an offer from CarMax. They've got a beat. And you've kept the lease as a whole separate deal. Oh, all right. See, I knew I was calling you for a reason. That's a good good bit of advice. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy what you get. By the way, with the leases, do you watch TV much? Not a whole lot. See, I don't either. But when a luxury manufacturer is doing a special deal on a lease, many times it will be in TV spots. So the alternative now is go to the manufacturer's website and see if they're showing any factory-subsidized leases they're promoting on their website. Not a dealer's website, the manufacturer's own website. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 
Hello there, you. It's me, Jay Moore. You know me from the More Stories podcast. I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and I talk to people that fascinate me, like Brandon Boyd from Incubus, super funny Jim Jeffries, Jay Leno, Charlie Sheen, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, and a whole lot more. Download a few episodes of More Stories now. More Stories podcast every Monday. Podcast One app, iTunes, podcastone.com. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept himself to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.